Let's celebrate being at church together today. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. If you are new to ACF, we're glad that you're with us here this morning. And if you don't know what we're about, as a church family, we exist to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched, the unchurched, and the de-churched. So wherever you're at in that journey, we're glad that you're here. Also, can we welcome the ladies from Highland today who are with us online? We're glad that you're part of our family as well here today. So, uh, we are in a series, we're in week three of a series called Counter Culture. And we're in the book of Mark all summer long. It's going to be really easy to follow along. It's going to be a chapter a week. And I promise you, we're going to miss a lot of topics. So, you know, don't send me emails. Why don't you cover this? I can't. I can't do it. So there's no way to cover every single topic. But you can cover every topic as you're out fishing, as you're out camping around the fire this summer. Make sure you're having conversations and reading a chapter a week. By the end of the summer, you'll be through the whole book of Mark. So we're really excited about that. And if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. And this series is called Counterculture. And the statement we keep using is this, that a kingdom culture is a counterculture. If you're going to try to live like Jesus, it's going to be living in contrast to the world that we live in. There's a, and, and so as we walk through the book of Mark, we're, we're looking at how Jesus lives a counterculture, a kingdom culture, how he shows people a different way to, to, to care about people, a different way to live, a different way to spend his time and his energy, and, and the way that he sees people is, is in such contrast to the way that uh, the religious leaders that, that uh, come against Jesus saw people. And so uh, we're really learning from that this summer, and, and uh, today I've entitled the message, When You Think You're Losing. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. I know I have where I'm like, I think that I'm losing. And so Mark chapter 3 verse 20 is where we're going to begin. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Satan the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. So this is God's word for us here today, and I want to start off with a question, and it's this. What would you do if you knew you couldn't lose? What's something that you would go after, something that you would do with your life if you knew you wouldn't lose? 
And the reason I want to ask this is because I think a lot of what we do in life is shaped by our fears. I think all of us in the room, if we sat down and had a cup of coffee and talked for a few minutes, we'd be able to to share that there are things in our lives that we're fearful of that keep us from making certain decisions in life. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day who just got married and we're celebrating this new marriage and I asked her like, how long have you been dating? And she said, well, over two years. And I said, well, that's a little while, right? And she said, yeah, that's, it's quite a while. We started dating and, and I just wanted to make sure it was right, right? I just want to make sure this was the right person. I was like, well, that's good. And I said, well, why did you wait that long? And she said, well, my parents actually went through a really terrible divorce and I just didn't want to make the same mistake. And so out of fear, I just kind of kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And at some point, there, she was like, okay, it's, it's time to do this. And, and, and this is the society we live in, right? People are waiting longer and longer to get married, maybe, because many marriages, in fact, most right now are ending in divorce, over 50%. And so this fear of like this going wrong is causing people to kind of hold back on the commitment of marriage. And I would say that there's many other things in life that if, if we're honest, we're holding back because of fear. We don't want to lose. Nobody likes to lose, Right. But what would you do if you knew you couldn't lose? Well, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we know is that there is no losing in the kingdom of God. Is that when Jesus shows up, he preached the same message over and over again. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, like my kingdom's here. And Jesus, he didn't, he didn't just live this normal life. He, he lived the perfect life, Right? He conquered sin and death on the cross and was resurrected to new life. And his kingdom stands. It's, it's growing and expanding in this world. And one day it will come in fullness. And this is the story. This is what we believe. If you're a Christian, this is what you believe about the world. But the question is, do you believe that? And does your life actually show you that you believe that? Matthew eleven twelve says, And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. But listen to this. And violent people are attacking it. And if this doesn't describe the world we live in, nothing does, right? The truth is the kingdom of God is advancing and forcefully so. God is advancing his work and doing his work in the world. And yet violent people are attacking it. And so what you need to know is that as the kingdom of God advances, the more there's kingdom momentum, the more the opposition will grow, right? You can expect that, that the opposition will continue to grow. Don't be surprised that in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, that Christianity is is more criticized and ridiculed than it is today. Because once again, as the kingdom advances, so does the opposition, Uh, And if you even look at our society today, um, we live in this inclusive society, right? Like, believe whatever you want to believe. It doesn't matter what your religion is. In fact, we celebrate those things. But do you know, like, there is one religion that it's not okay to believe in. And what is that? Yeah, Christianity, right? It's like, oh, you're Muslim? That's so cool. Tell me about that, right? Right? Oh, you're Buddhist? That's awesome. I've learned to meditate. That's great. Uh, Tell me about that. Oh, you're Christian. Ew. Right? Like, there's, there's, that's what's going on in our society. Why is that? Because as the kingdom of God advances, so the opposition will advance, right? The enemy is not threatened by other religion. The, the, the enemy is threatened by Christianity because it leads to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so we have to know that. You shouldn't be shocked by that, that people are like, oh yeah, Christianity is becoming a little less cool today. Now, there are parts of that that are coming because sometimes we as Christians don't act like Jesus, and there's some opposition because of that, but we also have to understand that 
As the kingdom of God advances, so will the opposition. So the question about this, if you knew that you wouldn't lose, what would you do? The real question is this, do you really believe God is winning or not? Do you really believe it? And, and can, can people see that in your life, that the way you live is like God is winning? And if you look at what's going on in society, do you look at what's going on in society and go, yeah, God's really winning? Because you can, what we can do as Christians is we, is we can say, no, 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 the enemy's winning, right? But that's not actually the story. And we can see different things. Like people are like, well, you know, bring back prayer in schools. There's no prayer in schools, so the enemy must be winning, right? Uh, I don't know what you, what, what you think that uh, makes you feel like the enemy's winning. Maybe it's that like church attendance is dropping in a lot of churches, so the enemy must be winning. Maybe it's that the other political party got voted into office, so Jesus must be losing. I don't know what it is in your mind that you're seeing in the world, but the promise is really clear. Like, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus has established his kingdom and his reign and rule on earth. And it's our job as Christians just to say, Jesus, more of that. And as we pray for more of the kingdom on earth, what we're praying is for something that's promised. Does this make sense? We're not hoping for the kingdom of God to come to earth. We're actually believing in something that's been promised, and we're looking for ways to show his kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, in our lives around us. In fact, I would say this, that we believe that the kingdom of God is advancing, not also when it looks like the world is burning, but especially when it looks like the world is burning. That's really when the kingdom is advancing, is when the opposition begins to grow. And we see this in the life of Christ, that as Jesus begins to show people the kingdom, the opposition grows. And this is, this is part of the life of Christ. We see this in verse 21. It says, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. So this is a family intervention because poor little Jesus acts like he's the Messiah and we need to save him from himself. That's what, that's what his family's really doing. They're like, I, th- I think he's gone nuts. Everybody, he's just crazy. Just leave him alone. He's just gone nuts. And I was thinking about this. Sometimes the, the, the deepest opposition and the most painful opposition comes from within our own homes, doesn't it? You can know this. If you start to follow Jesus and you are not in a family that is a Christian family or is established in, in, in the faith, then you will experience opposition from your family. And that will be some of the most painful opposition that you experience. And they might even say this, you must be out of your mind to go to church. You must be out of your mind to believe that Bible stuff, that Jesus stuff. Like You may be criticized in that way. Maybe you start to try to change your life a little bit. And all they know is that old version of you. And what they're going to tend to do is say, hey, you can't ever get out of that shadow. You will always be that person. And, and, and that can be something, and, and sometimes there, there's a lot of reasons why people might say that. But you might get to hear that as you start to follow Jesus. And it's one of the biggest challenges that we go through is opposition from family. Mark 3.22 Now Jesus starts to get some opposition from the religious leaders, the scribes. They say this, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. So first it's he's crazy. Now they're telling Jesus he's possessed by the devil, right? That's that's another level. I don't know if you've ever been accused of being possessed by the devil, but that's another level of opposition that you will experience if you begin to live out the kingdom of God in this world. Uh, Satan, if you didn't know this, it's not actually a name. It's, It's a word that really means accuser. And so Jesus is, is being accused by being possessed by the accuser, right? He's being accused that he's possessed by the accuser and that that's why he's casting out demons. And now why do they accuse him of this? I think it's because the ways of Jesus aren't neutral to the world. They seem demonic. 
They aren't just neutral. The things of Jesus, it's not like, well, you can believe that and I'll believe this and we'll just be happy together. No, as you really walk in the things that Jesus says and really live those things out in the world, people won't go, okay, that's fine. They're actually going to think you're, you're of the devil, right? You are the villain. And that's what happens to Jesus is he, he gets opposition from family. Then before he, he knows it, he's being called the villain, that he's possessed by a demon. You know, there's this term we throw around. It's uh, fundamentalism. And fundamentalism is when we pick a camp and then tell the other side that they're the demons. That's what fundamentalism is. And it's interesting. There's been a branch of fundamental, fundamentalism called Christian fundamentalism, which is what pe- most people think of when they think of that word. And, and it was birthed out of the early 1800s when there was this movement away from the, the, the fundamental tenets of the faith and people were like, hey, we need to come up with what do we believe? What are the fundamentals? And so they established some basic beliefs and said these are the fundamentals, but fundamentalism went off the rails. And the reason it went off the rails is because they, they, they became committed to doctrinal purity devoid of love. They had doctrinal purity. They were like, okay, we believe the right things, but we don't actually love people and, and love God. And, and without love for people and love for God, your doctrine doesn't mean anything. In fact, the Bible's very clear. Like without, without love, it's like you're a clanging symbol to God. He's like, I don't want to hear your worship. I don't want to hear your words because you have no love, right? Love is really at the root of all of these things. If you are doctrinally pure without love, you have Nothing. And today what's happened is that both the left and the right in society have their own versions of fundamentalism. And they call the other ones the demons, right? And so you're just going to experience this is that there's like, there's two forms of it today. And fundamentalism is on the rise. Again, this, this version of things where we say, hey, the other side, what they believe, makes them into demons. Thomas Kidd says this, he says, the spirit of fundamentalism tells us, tells us that no difference politically or theologically is tolerable and that our enemies must be destroyed. The spirit of Christ offers a better way, robust truth and robust kindness, right? Jesus comes into the world, John 1, full of grace and truth, right? 100% grace, 100% truth all the time. And that's what we try to do as a church family. We want to never avoid the truth of scripture, but always do so full of kindness and grace. And this is how we avoid the pitfalls of fundamentalism. But once again, if you're going to do this, if you're going to live the way of Christ, you will eventually be called the demon. You will eventually be called uh, someone who's in opposition to what is good and true for the world. You will eventually become the villain. So question for you, have you become the villain yet? Have you found yourself becoming the villain? So let me give you some examples. So if you believe that life begins at conception, you will eventually become the villain, okay? If you believe that salvation is given to all people, no matter their social, economic background, political background, you will eventually become the villain. If you have a view of sexuality and gender in today's society that is binary, male and female, you will eventually become the villain. If you believe the kingdom of God is an invitation to anybody on earth, whether they're waving a pride flag or an American flag, you will eventually become the villain. I feel like I should hide behind this thing. How about this one? If you believe that following Jesus is a free gift of grace, salvation is a free gift of grace, but when you follow Jesus, he will call you to submit everything from your money to your time to your finances to your, to your sexuality to what God says is true and right, then you will eventually become the villain. So question, am I the villain yet? 
right? I, I, if, you, if you believe these things, which this is what the Bible says, if you believe these things, you will eventually become the villain. Now, some of you here are like, I'm the villain all, all, the, all over the place. Everybody hates me, so I must be like Jesus. This is a problem, my friends. Now, the verse that everybody goes to is when Jesus says, hey, blessed are you who are hated and persecuted in my name. So you go, well, then I'm really blessed because everybody hates me. So again, you got you to ask yourself, am I hated because of Jesus or am I hated because I'm just a jerk, right? Because I think that happens sometimes where people go around, they're like, well, I'm just screaming the truth. I have doctrinal purity. I don't have a whole lot of love. Everybody hates me, so I must look like Jesus. That's not the truth at all. And Jesus shows up and certainly his doctrine was perfect, but also was his love. So here's a question, if that's you. If you feel the need to tweet or to post the truth, whatever you think that is, you need to ask yourself one question. Do I love these people? Because that's how Jesus looked. When Jesus came to earth, he gave them the truth. He challenged people, right? Right? A woman at the well, like, he's talking to her and he's going to offer her living water, but he calls out the fact that she's been married to all these different men and the man who she's currently with, like, isn't even her husband. And we all read that. We're like, ooh, Jesus, why'd you have to go there? That, that's a little intense, Jesus. But she walks away blessed, Right? Because he invited her into something that was good and true. He loved her and she knew it. So maybe here's a question. Before you tweet, ask yourself the question, am I like Jesus in this moment? Because when Jesus came to earth, he gave grace and truth, then he went and died for everyone. So maybe the question is, am I willing to die for these people? Before I share what I believe to be true, am I willing to die for them? And if I'm not, I should probably hold off on sharing what I believe to be true. Because can can we agree? People can tell when you love them. People can tell when you're giving them the truth to keep them out of the kingdom of God and they can tell when you're giving them the truth to invite them in. Religious people use the truth to keep people out of the kingdom of God, but Jesus used the truth to invite them in. Do you see the difference? And so we don't want to fall into those pitfalls, but again, if you do share the truth, even through love, will you be hated? You will. Because Jesus was hated as well. He goes on in Mark chapter 3, verse 23. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. So they're they're literally saying, Jesus, you're Satan casting out demons. And Jesus says, your logic is broken. This does not work. If Satan were working against Satan, then the kingdom would fall apart. So I, I certainly can't be Satan. Because a kingdom divided cannot stand, even demonic kingdoms. And what you need to know is that the demonic kingdom that exists to work against you is a united front. And, and its whole goal is to destroy, to kill, to lead to death in your life. Like, the demonic world is united. So here's my question. Is the church as unified as the demonic forces in this world? And not just ACF church, but the greater church. Because Jesus has just said, like, a kingdom divided is, it's not going to stand, it's not going to work together. So are we as united as the demonic forces coming against us? We should be. If we're not, then, then we, we need, to, we need to, be, to think about that, right? Because that's going to that's gonna work against what we're trying to do in the world. This is why just a few weeks ago when we did Impact, we did it with other churches. Uh, if you're new maybe this week, you don't know, we, we canceled our normal services to go serve the community. And we had, I think, over 20 churches join with us and do this together. And it was a beautiful picture 
of unity in the church. Why? Because we need to be as unified, if not more unified, than the demonic forces coming against what is true and good in the world. Because a kingdom divided cannot stand. Jesus makes that clear. In verse 28, he says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. So what's going on here is Jesus is explaining to them, hey, as you call me Satan, what you're literally doing is attributing the work of God to demons. And that's what blasphemy is. Blasphemy is to attribute what God is doing to the demonic, satanic forces in the world. And again, we have to, we have to understand that that's something that will exist. And maybe, maybe you've done that. Maybe people have done that to you before where they've said, hey, I think what you're doing is not godly or good. It's actually demonic. We've experienced that as a church. As our church began to grow, we were just a little church. Then we started growing a little bit. We started hearing things. I started hearing things like, man, they must be not telling people the full gospel right? I mean, there's got to be something demonic going on at ACF Church because it's growing, certainly. Like, if people are showing up, then there's got to be something wrong with that, right? And th- th- you'll start to experience that. Or you start to see God's blessing and work in your life, and people are going to be like, there's obviously something wrong with you. For a lot of different reasons, people will attribute the work of God to the demonic, and that is the sin of, of blasphemy. But what you need to hear, if, you, if, you, if you've heard nothing else, you need to hear what he said there. All sin and blasphemy can be what? Forgiven. So if you're like, Brian, I don't know about all this stuff. I just know that I came in with a burden on me. Um, it can be forgiven. If you're carrying something today and you're like, man, I, I've got this one thing that I'm not so sure that God is willing to take from me. We just read that he is. He's willing and ready and wants to take that burden from you today. Like all sin and blasphemy. Even you may be going, hey, the church, is, the church isn't a good thing. It's a demonic thing. Like it's bad. Maybe you've been that person before. Even that can be forgiven, Jesus says. But then he goes on and he says, he says, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. What, how, how is that? How can all sin be forgiven, but then this sin not be forgiven? Well, blasphemy, this, this, this term that, we, that he used at first is, is external, blasphemy, calling other people uh, demons or saying that that works of the devil. But, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, is to reject the work of God in your own life. It's when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're like, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to believe that. And so to go to your grave, never accepting Jesus, never receiving the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And he's like, that's, that is the unforgivable sin. Because here's the deal today, the Holy Spirit's speaking to all of you in one way or another. The Holy Spirit, even if you're not a Christian, even if you reject God, I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to you and you have a decision to make. You can accept what he's saying or you can reject it. And if you spend the rest of your life rejecting it, that is the unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is to reject him for the rest of your life. And in the end, I think as we look at all of these things and we look at the opposition we experience, we need to begin to believe that we're on the winning team. And it's not Team ACF, it's not Team Brian or whatever your name is, it's Team Jesus. Jesus is the one that we follow. And to follow Jesus is to be on the winning team. And, and here's the deal, when you believe the kingdom of God wins, you'll live and act in a countercultural faith. People are going to start to wonder why you believe so deeply. And they're going to see it in your life. But only if you believe that the kingdom of God is winning. 
See, I think a lot of us are caught back on our heels right now. We see things that are going on societally or even globally. And so for a lot of Christians, there's a feeling of like, are we losing? And how many of you know when you feel like you're losing, uh, you're not your best self, right? You're not your best self when you feel like you're losing. Uh, My little boy, he plays basketball and uh, he'll be playing and I'm watching him and he's just crushing it, man. He's He's working all his moves. He's getting the shots in. Like he's, he's a really talented ball player. And then maybe the other team will get ahead by a couple points. And I'll start to see him stumbling a little bit. And then the other team will get ahead by a couple more points. And he'll stumble a little bit more. And before I know it, man, all his skills have gone out the window. He's just kind of plodding up and down, you know, like not excited about the game anymore. And I can tell he feels like he's losing. He feels like he's on the losing team. And so he's lost all aggression. And I think, I think this describes the church in so many ways today. So many Christians are like, I think we're losing, so let's just kind of go to church on Sunday. Can I just tell you, if what you're doing right now is as aggressive as your Christian life gets, you have a problem. Like, this is not aggressive, friends. You came to church. That's, that's great. That's a good first step, right? But this is not the aggressive life that God is calling us into. He is calling us to make aggressive moves for the kingdom because that's what Jesus did. And again, the only way we're going to be willing to do the aggressive things God is calling us to is if we know and believe with all of our heart that God wins, the kingdom of God is advancing, and that it's aggressively moving forward even though violent people are attacking it. So once again, do you really believe that? Because the way that you live will be, it'll be visible in the way that you live, the way that you pray, the way that you serve the way that you give, all of these things, your generosity, all those things are shaped by whether you think that you're on the winning team or the losing team. Are you an aggressive follower of Jesus? Jesus lived an aggressive life. Uh, there's this uh, ex-Navy SEAL, Jocko. Some of you know that name. He says this. He says, an aggressive mindset should be the default setting of any leader. Default aggressive. This means that the best leaders, the best teams, don't wait to act. Instead, understanding the strategic vision or the commander's intent, they aggressively execute to overcome obstacles, capitalize on immediate opportunities, accomplish the mission, and win. I read that and I'm like, that's a church I want to be a part of, right? A bunch of people that live like that with an aggressive mindset. If you look at the early church, early Christians in the book of Acts were aggressive, right? In Acts 4, The church was beginning to to expand. There were needs in the church. And people sold their property to finance the work of the church. We see in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is sharing the gospel and he gets stoned for his beliefs, right? And and so, I mean, that's, that's aggressive. In Acts 19, the way the Christians were living literally changed the economic setup in, in, in all of their, they were making idols and selling idols. Nobody was buying them anymore. And so the economy was shaped by these, these Christians who are living aggressively, right? We try to be as aggressive as we can as a church. We say this a lot. We want to do things that other churches aren't doing to reach people that other churches aren't reaching. That's what we want to do as a church family, right? So we, have, we had a statement we put out earlier this year, and it's, you don't have to believe to belong. And that statement, I think, ruffled some people's feathers because they're like, wait, what are you saying? Are you saying that what you believe doesn't matter? And it was like, no, of course, what you believe does matter, but sometimes belonging precedes believing. Am I right? Sometimes you got to belong before you're willing to listen to the truth. And so we say we're a community where it doesn't matter what your background is. Like we want you here. And, and, and even if we disagree, we think disagreement is fine. It's great. Let's have conversations. 
But, but we believe that you don't have to believe to belong. And so this is our way of trying to live aggressively. There's a pastor that I've deeply respected over the years named Pastor Tim Keller. Uh, he recently passed away. And I was watching his final sermon to his church. It was just like a little 20-minute deal. And he said something that really struck me. I've just been thinking about it all week. And he said this. He said, church, I pray that you would never leave the razor's edge. Never leave the razor's edge. And what I think he means by that is never play it safe. Never be so afraid of the slippery slope that you don't do the things that Jesus did. Because if you look at the life of Christ, he pretty much lived on a slippery slope, right? Right? I mean, he, uh, giving, giving like more wine to a group of people at a wedding that already probably drank too much, that's a slippery slope, Jesus. <laughs> Letting this woman wash your feet, you know, like, I mean, that was, that was scandalous, Jesus did all kinds of things that look like slippery slopes. And I'm not saying don't be wise and, and smart about how you do things. Certainly be those things, but never leave the razor's edge. The razor's edge is when you don't fall off on one side or the other of being too safe or living without wisdom, living foolish. We want to be living on that razor's edge as a church family. And, and honestly, here's the deal. When we do that, I believe that we will be known by what we're for, not just by what we're against. I think a lot of Christians are very clear about what they're against, and most people don't really know what the church is for. So I want to ask you are, you, are you living for something? Like, what are you living for? Are you doing things that show the world around you that, like, you're really for them, you want the best for them? Even in your doctrine and the things that you believe to be true about God and about humanity, do you give those things to people because you're for them? Because that's why God gave them to us. Everything we believe about humanity, about what is good and right, is given to us because that's what leads to human flourishing. God is for us, friends. The question is, are we for the world? And I I think as we start to do that as a church, as we live on the razor's edge, we'll start to see things that show us that, man, maybe we're reaching people. Uh, I remember the first time we did the fireworks show. Uh, We do this every year. We put on a a great fireworks show for our community. Uh, The first time we did it, I think people had very low expectations they thought maybe Pastor Brian be up there with some sparklers and bottle rockets or something. But like we, we get a full pyrotechnics company and we just want to throw a great party for our city and we want them to know that the church is generous so that one day they'll know that God is generous. So that's what we do. We, we just, we try to have some fun. We, we try to serve our city. And I remember the first time I walked into this huge crowd of people that came out for the fireworks show and I about got a contact high for the amount of weed that was being smoked in this group of people. And I was like, interesting. And I, and I was like, either it's like some of our serve team members or we're reaching our community, right? And, and we're doing what God is calling us to do is that this isn't just a group of, they weren't all circled up doing Bible study. Let's just say that. It was, a, it was our community gathered up trying to watch some fireworks. And I thought, I think we're on the razor's edge. Some of you would be like, I think you fell off. That's fine. We can disagree on that. <laughs> But I think we're on the razor's edge. And I think that's good. I think that's what we want to do. And, and, and I'll be honest, I think as, as churches begin to grow, the pressure for me is to, is to come off the razor's edge onto the safe side. Just to do whatever's comfortable. Let's just do church. Can we just get people together every week? And I don't know, you guys, like, I can be doing a lot of other things. You can as well. We don't need to just get in a room together. We need to mobilize an army for the kingdom of God. We need to move forward. And so for me, that's what I'm interested in. I don't know if that's what you're interested in, but I want to be known by what we are for. So question for you today. Are you fighting not to lose or are you really fighting to win? I think there's a lot of Christians that are just worried about losing. And so you're fighting not to lose, but you're not fighting to win. 
Think about if you're married. Are you fighting not to lose in your marriage or are you fighting to win? Listen, God's got a better vision for you than just your marriage would make it to the end. And there's a lot of Christians and, and maybe just that commitment of marriage is what, what's, what's kept you this far and, and that's not a bad thing. But can I just say God has more for you than that? I don't want to just stay married another 20 years. I want to love my wife more in 20 years than I do today. And I want her to love me more than she does today. How about your kids? With your kids, are you fighting not to lose or are you fighting to win? Your children can feel it when you're parenting out of fear. When you're just like, God, I think we're going to lose them. I think we're going to lose them. Can Can I just tell you this? God will not lose them. And he loves them more than you do. And he will walk with them through all seasons of life. It's your job to love them, to lead them, to challenge them. We've got a whole group of students right now. They're in Mexico building homes for people, going through cities and neighborhoods that, can I just tell you, are not that safe. <laughs> There's a parent here who's like, nobody told me that before my son. They're just, they're not. They're not that safe of neighborhoods. There's people with them, that's fine. But I'm just telling you that, like, I don't want my kids just to be safe. I want them to be warriors for the kingdom. I want, I want to empower them. They are powerful to be used by God. Where is it that you're fighting not to lose instead of fighting to win? How about even just, even just as a Christian in general, are you just fighting not to lose your salvation? You have this fear of God that somehow, man, if you mess up, he's going he's gonna to take away your salvation. You're going to go to hell. That's not the God that I follow. My salvation is securely grounded not in what I do, but what Christ has done, right? So I, I can't lose So I might as well live to win, to see the kingdom of God advance through what I do. And in our church, we have have an all-church goal I want to invite you into. And this is our all-church goal, that everybody would get to baptize somebody. That's, That's the goal, that everybody in this room would invest in someone's life that doesn't know Jesus to the point that at some point they would say, hey, you've been such a part of my journey, I would love for you to baptize me. Now, maybe you're from a different church background and, and only the, uh, the pastors and the people in the robes get to do the baptisms. Um, but can I just tell you, the Bible calls you priests and saints. To me, that means that you're fully qualified to do anything I'm qualified to do, including communion, baptism, anything. And this is, again, we're all about decentralizing discipleship. It's you guys, go do it. It's not about the professional Christians somewhere doing, doing the job. It's about you doing those things. And so our heart is that at some point, you would make such a difference in somebody's life. They would say, hey, next week's baptism week, uh, I'd love for you to baptize me. Not for your pride, not to check a box, but because, man, like you've been so part of their life. And that, 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 that's, a, that's a great dream. And I just, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you've missed all this stuff, but I hope you just hear this, man. God is inviting you into something beautiful and powerful where you can experience that type of opposition, but you can do it boldly with peace in your heart because your place in the kingdom of God is securely grounded in Jesus. And that's a beautiful place to be. That's a place of peace. And so I don't know what your next step is today. Maybe you just need to make this commitment to begin a relationship with this Jesus. Maybe just the idea that all things can be forgiven is something you needed to hear today. And even that one thing, even that thing that's in your mind right now. And maybe today you, you want him to, to take that from you, and, and he does. He wants to begin a journey with you. Maybe today you want to begin praying for someone to receive Jesus. I don't know who that person is. I want to just encourage you to put their name in your mind right now. If you can't think of a name, 
That's something to think about, right? It's time to get out. It's time to go make some friendships, right? Maybe it's just you're praying for this person. Maybe this is you. You're going to show that you're for people this week. Maybe everybody at work, everybody that you know, man, they know what you're against. They don't know what you're for. And you need to give them a vision for that. And maybe this is you, that you're going to give, serve, and grow aggressively. Have you gotten complacent in your faith? Just comfortable going to church, spending a couple minutes here and going home? Man, God wants more for you. He doesn't need you. Again, we already read the kingdom of God is advancing with or without you, but I just promise you, you want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Where have you gotten comfortable in your serving? Maybe God's calling you to lead, to be a coach or a team captain, at ACF. Have you gotten comfortable in your giving? I still remember when Amanda and I finally got to the point that we were tithing, giving a 10% tithe. And we were like, ah, I'm so glad we're done with that, you know? And then we learned that generosity is a lifelong journey. And that the tithing's just the beginning and that God's always going to be calling us to a greater level of generosity and that everything belongs to God. Everything. So maybe that's your next step. Maybe you've gotten comfortable in your growing and your learning and you used to read books and study theology and try to understand God better and you just stopped trying to know him. I promise you, you haven't figured God out yet. You haven't learned every facet of his goodness and his grace and his holiness. You haven't learned it. So where do you need to get back onto an aggressive mindset in that area? Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to take a step this week. Move forward and join us back next week. Would you stand? I want to pray. And we'll worship together. Father, thank you. God, that you love us. And uh, God, we want to acknowledge that I would just believe in in this room and for those who are watching online that there's some fear. Your word says that there is no fear in love and that perfect love casts out all fear, God. So if there's fear in our hearts, it's because we don't understand your perfect love. So God, would you show that to us through your spirit today? That would we understand your love for us and for the world? God, thank you that the mission is advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing, God, and that it's happening. Even though the things around us look like they're not so good. So God, I, I just pray that we would live this week like we're on the winning team. Team Jesus, God, that we would we believe this and know this in our, in our souls, God, so that we could live aggressively and be mobilized as an army to see your kingdom of God advance in our city. God, could we live on the razor's edge? Forgive us for getting comfortable. Forgive us for living unwisely. But God, get us back into that place where we're pushing the kingdom forward and seeing you advance. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.